0: you heard in that music intro, which is now in the background, is Tower of Power, a legendary American R&B-based horn section and band, originating in Oakland, California that has been around since 1968, and that's a cut from a live medley called Diggin' on James Brown, from Tower of Power's latest two-CD live album, 50 Years of Funkin' Soul. Live at the Fox Theater, Oakland, California, June 2018. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and goldminemag.com. Goldmine Magazine is the music collector's magazine since 1974. We report on collecting vinyl and memorabilia and covering and interviewing the artists you love to collect. And welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast again. And if you say you never heard Tower of Power, well, you probably have heard Tower of Power. If you've heard and liked hit songs from artists as varied as Aerosmith, Heart, Jefferson Starship, you've heard Tower of Power in the background, or livening up their tracks. And we'll get to that in this podcast, as we'll have Emilio Castillo on, and he is the founder of Tower of Power, and Emilio plays tenor, Sax, as well as providing background and lead vocals from the start since 1968. Amelia will talk about performing on other bands' hits, Tower of Power's own hits, that quite a few of them, especially in the 70s. The band's Oakland roots and this live album. When we come back after this message from CygnusRadio.com. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine,
1: the Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com.
0: How are you, sir? How are you? Tower of Power, new release, 50 years of Funkin' Soul at the Fox Theater. What... what we know what's special about Oakland. What's special about the Fox Theater to you?
2: Well, you know, uh, that theater is one of the <laughs> premier theaters in downtown Oakland since, like, you know, way back in the early uh, 20th century. And uh, they were refurbishing that theater for, like, the last I don't know, 30 years. I mean, and, uh, and they used to have benefits, you know, like, you know, to to help get it refurbished. And, uh, and I remember they finally got the marquee done. And it was gorgeous, you know, and they approached us to do a gig there. And, uh, but the inside was a wreck, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and this, this happened like five or six times, but then, uh, when it was time for us to do our 50s, you know, I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And, uh, I heard that they were doing, uh, concerts there and that Bill Graham's people were in there and, uh, Queenie Taylor and, uh, I forget the other guy's name, but, uh, Anyway, uh, my manager said, you know, we, we got to look for a venue in Oakland. I go, yeah, it's got to be in Oakland. He goes, I'm going to go look at the Fox Theater. And he called me up the day he toured it. He says, man, this is the place to shoot a DVD. It is just phenomenal. You know? oh. So we went there, and now it's our new home there. We play there once a year.
0: Well, they I remember in the 90s, they redid the Fillmore. Um, yep. Yeah. I was there, um, but... You guys were more of the East Bay, so it it's kind of better that it became the Fox Theater for you. To... Yeah, I mean,
2: you know, we did the Fillmore for uh, the 40th anniversary, and, and yep. that was right because we got our start at the Fillmore. True. And, uh, but that's a smaller theater, and this was a big event. Yeah. You know, 50 years, that's a big deal. Yeah. So we did two nights and sold it out, and it was great.
0: Well, you've done a lot over 50 years. That's why I want to... I cover a lot of different songs that you've done, but first with this with this release, uh, the thing I like is it's going to be triple vinyl, as well as a DVD. And you invited a lot of al- T O P alumni to join you on stage. You have Lenny Pickett, who the musical director of Saturday Night Live*, right? You have yep. Chester Thompson Santana, the keyboardist. Um mm-hmm. Bruce Conti, guitarist. Now Bruce, um doesn't he play now and then with you guys?
2: He sits in whenever he's around. I mean all these people do. Chester plays with us every time we're in the Bay Area. Lenny pickup plays with us every time we play in New York. Yeah. You know, we have good relations with all our alumni.
0: And, and former vocalist Ray Green.
2: Um Yeah, he played trombone though.
0: Oh he played trombone, okay.
2: Yeah, he's an excellent trombone player. <coughs> I wanted to augment the section yeah. with the trombone. So we got Ray in there, man. It was great.
0: And you didn't miss a beat playing with these guys, because you said you they play every now and then with you when they're in the area, right? So it's kind of just they fits get like the a glove.
2: Power concept.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. You know? I mean, they they get it, and uh, so you know, a few days rehearsal, Ray's tuned up. And, uh, man, it was excellent.
0: It's like. Uh, it's kind of like a a family, Emilio, isn't it? I mean, they they just come back to to visit, so to speak, and jump right in and fits like a glove. It's kind of yeah, interesting.
2: It, it is a family. It's not kind of like one. <laughs> it <is a> <laughs> We're all very very close, you know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as soon as I get to New York, Lenny calls me. Hey, man, you want to go get some Mexican food? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, he's just like. Uh, all of us. I mean, Chester Thompson. Every time we're in the bay, we're with Chester. You know, and, uh, all these guys. Greg Adams. We're in L.A. He came and played with us at the Hollywood Bowl last time we were there. You know.
0: So how does a guy like you, who's been plays like two hundred plus gigs a year from playing for fifty years, all of a sudden the pandemic hits, and it's just frozen in time? Uh, must have been just freaky for you to to not uh, to do anything um to not sure. yeah
2: you know uh, i mean freaky for everyone i mean the whole world shut down so i certainly wasn't like you know the only guy It wasn't as though i got a terminal illness and all of a sudden i'm off the road right. you know? i mean everybody got this terminal illness <laughs> and uh and we were all out of work and uh for me it was a huge adjustment because as you say you know i played 200 dates a year every single year for like the last 50 years and it was an adjustment but i've I'm one of the guys in the band that was lucky because uh, I was in the process of doing this DVD. So I'd fly to L.A. and work on the mix. And when I got back home, I was working on the video editing, and all the credits and the artwork. And that was a long, long process. And then uh, also, you know, because I'm a songwriter, I wrote a lot of songs during this time. Uh, The biggest adjustment for me was, you know, I never practiced my horn, and, and I'm ashamed to say that, but... You know, I never have because I play all the time. Right. And, uh, and you know, I, I you know I got about two months into the pandemic and Doc called me up and he goes, hey, I started practicing and he's also another one. He never practices. You know. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I started practicing. He goes, it's a good thing I did too, man. He goes, my lip was out of shape, you know. <laughs> and I thought, I thought I'd better get in and I, I put my horn on I was like, whoa, man. And so now I got into this practice regime and then we got a gig. And, uh, you know, when the gig came up, we played one gig in September. You know? And wow. when the gig came up, man, we were we were in shape. So, yeah. and now I got this practice regime, so that's great.
0: You're right, you don't think about that. You sort of, uh, you're playing so much, you don't need to practice. <laughs>
2: well, I do, I just don't. I'm lazy. <clears throat> I mean, I'll be honest. It's not as though, I
0: mean,
2: Unless you're you know, writing I songs. As much as me, and they're practicing. <laughs> <you know>?
0: Right. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I thought maybe you, you put together a DVD because, you know, some downtime, but you were already, this was already planned. So Oh, yeah.
2: okay. We so, started working on this thing, you know, uh, in 2017. Right. We started making plans right. and scheduling it out and picking the people we were going to use. We didn't want it to be the same thing. Like with the 40th, we invited everybody that was ever in the band and whoever made it showed up. And it was kind of, uh, you know, it came out great a lot of work and we got it all fine-tuned and it sounded great but this time we just wanted to select people and we wanted extra mm-hmm. background singers and we wanted this 10 piece string section and uh, so you know with our specific things we wanted to, do to make it different right and uh, that worked out really well
0: sometimes when there's too too many people on the guest list it causes uh friction <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, was a, that wasn't really a problem, because we all, like I said, we all really love each other, so we get yeah. along just great. So that wasn't a problem, but, uh, you know, we just wanted it to be different, and, uh, you know, noticeably different from the other one, and so, and I think we accomplished that.
0: Well, it does have a bittersweet release, because Rocco, uh, unfortunately, passed away. Rocco Prestia, the bassist, uh, founding bassist, yeah. in September. Yeah, um,
2: Yeah, we had actually taken him off the road about six I months know. prior to the concert,
3: yeah. and
2: it was difficult for him. And, and actually, during the filming, because we made sure yeah, we wanted him to be involved, and so, but we knew he was out of shape, because he's another one <laughs> that never practiced, you know, because right. he played all the time. But he had been off for six months, we knew he was out of shape, so we had only had him do four tunes. And uh, you know, he was still upset with me. And uh, I remember about two months after the concert was filmed, he called me up one day, and uh, and I look, and you know, it's from Rockville and I go, "Hey, man," and he goes, uh, "Hey, uh, I need to tell you something." I go, "What's that?" He goes, "I'm not mad anymore," hmm. and I tell you, I just started crying, man. Yeah. And uh, I go, "I'm really glad about that, Frank." He goes, "Now you did the right thing," <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, it was difficult. Those are difficult times.
0: Yeah. And is Marcus Scott still in the band? Is he still singing in the band?
2: He's not, unfortunately, yeah. and uh, that's. Uh, I wasn't sure. That's that. sad to me, you know, because I, I, I was really, uh, I really, I think he's a wonderful talent, a yeah. beautiful singer, and uh, got along with him really great, you know. But for some reason, when the pandemic hit, he uh, he just kind of shut down, and we weren't hearing from him. And you know, we we had uh, some Zoom meetings with our new management. and He didn't right. show up, and then we kind of asked him about it, and um, you know, he just. I don't know what happened, uh, you know, it could have been some personal stuff, you know, I don't know, but right. uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's upsetting, but you know, as you know, <laughs> we've made that movie many times.
0: Yes, yes. Well, you move forward, you know. Um, yeah. that, now, you stated that, back to the beginning, you stated that you were 17 years old when you first met Doc, Doc Kubka. Um, the sax player, and you started to assemble the band, which, you know, became Tower of Power. You made a quote that I was reading. You said, at the time, you had no vision. let me
2: stop you there first. (laughs) Let me stop you there first. I didn't assemble the band when I met Doc. The band was already exactly like Tower of Power is for like a year and a half before I met Doc.
3: Uh,
2: I just met him, and we auditioned him, and he came in the band, and when he came in, he was the first hippie we ever met, and he came <laughs> in, and he was in the band about six months. And yeah, we were a bunch of little hard guys, man, with suits and razor cuts, and yeah. you know, that was fun, you know, the Fillmore was happening, and we all, you know, saw him, and, and, and we are hanging out with him, and he was hanging out with us, and we started growing our hair long, and you know, we wanted to get into Fillmore, and we knew we'd never get in with a name like the Motowns. So that's what we were called. Because right. me, me and my brother, uh, we, we were the two guys who started the band, and we were from Detroit, you know, and uh, we came up with that name, Tower of Power. So, yeah, I didn't like hire Doc and then we assembled the band. It was already assembled.
0: So the hippie loosened you guys up.
2: came in and he said, he said, he said, what you're doing with this music is incredible. Because I used to take these songs by Otis Redding, James Brown, Sam and Dave, and I would change them around. And he said, yeah. you know, it's amazing what you do with these songs. But why are you doing it to other people's songs? Why don't we write our own? And then we started to write. So that's basically, because we started to write the tunes, that's why we're known as the founders. But you know, I had the band a year and a half before he came in.
0: So this hippie kind of loosened you guys up a little bit.
2: <laughs> oh, he loosened us up considerably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he
0: took off the suits.
2: We got, yeah, we, we got so loose. By 1988, we had to sober up. <laughs> oh,
0: man. So, uh... So So doc, you but you made this comment, you said that um, you you realized you had no vision at all. I guess that's you explained it. You kind of started thinking about writing your own songs and being more than just a regional act.
2: Well let me let me just stop you there as well. I didn't realize that I had no vision at all. That realization came like... 30 years later, you know, people ask me, you know, did you ever think you'd get this far? And I'd say, you know, my vision was if I could get to Sacramento, <laughs> I will have made it. Yes. Know, because my idols, the Spiders, had gotten a gig in Sacramento. Uh, all, all I said 30 years later was, you know, I had no vision, but I didn't even know that then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't think about vision. All I thought about was I got this band and it's my whole life. I loved it. And that that's, you know, I didn't have any thinking besides that, you know, well, it was like the band and chicks, man, that was it. What were the spiders like? They were a really tight white soul band yeah. and they had three horns, very tight, well arranged, beautiful, excellent background vocals. Uh, A white lead singer named Dennis DeLacqua that was so soulful that black people would drive from San Francisco, from San Jose, from the peninsula, and come in and just shake their heads. They couldn't believe how soulful they were. And and I looked at that and I went, I want to be like that.
0: And where are they now? What happened to them?
2: They they never made the transition. They never wrote uh, original material. Uh. They lost their original drummer, and he was really, him and the singer... They were the two soul guys in the band. I mean, they they really had the concept. And when the drummer got uh, drafted to Vietnam, the whole concept. I gotcha.
0: Was so hard. Well, the Oakland the Oakland influence definitely had shown on the first album, right? East Bay Greece. You put a map of Oakland on there.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and that was uh, that was Bruce Steinberg's idea. The album cover designer. He pointed out to us. He says, you know. You guys are in a San Francisco band. You yeah, know, you're an Oakland band. Right. And we're like, what's your point? And he goes, we want to make, we want to make that statement. Yeah. Because your sound, it's an Oakland sound. It's not San. Francisco. We never even thought about that. Like I say, I had no vision. <laughs> you know, I didn't think about, oh, we're got the Oakland sound. But when he pointed that, out, he goes, you know, you play here all the time. We had a regular Monday and Tuesday night gig in Jack London Square. We played all over the East Bay. You know. And uh, he said, you know, you, you listen to KSOL Radio with Sly Stone as a jockey in Oakland, KDIA, Oakland Soul Radio, because that's who you are. You're not, you know, big brother in the holding company and Quicksilver <laughs> messenger. That's not who you guys are. And we said, yeah, no, you're right. And he uh, put that map on there and put the point of that... Uh, logo right to Oakland <laughs> and uh and we've been an Oakland band ever since. We go around the world so it's the Oakland soul sound.
0: But you played at the film or did you hang out though with those bands, the Holding Company? Big Brother and the Holding Company. Well, what
2: what happened was they uh they saw us and they dug us, you know. Yeah. Santana dug us. Absolutely uh, Nick Gravinides Nick Gravinides who was a singer for uh big brother in the holding company and the harmonica player, he uh, he was the first guy that called us in the middle of the night and said, uh, hey, I'm over at the studio, Wally Hyders, and I got this song named Funky Jim. What do you think? We think it would sound good with horns. Yeah, <laughs> you I know. know. They started accompanying our <laughs> horns, you know. <laughs> and two weeks later, Carlos called in the middle of the night, same thing. We're over here at CBS Studios. <laughs> and we got this song, Everybody's Everything. We think it would sound good with horns. You guys mind coming over? And we're like, <laughs> no, we don't mind. And we'd go over there, and then they'd, you know, press some money into our hands as we were leaving, and we go, what's that for? <laughs> They're like, for playing. And we're like, really? <laughs> we just went there for fun, you know?
0: Well, I don't think people realize how many classic songs on the radio have Tower of Power in them. And, uh,. Even I didn't realize I knew some, but not, not all. I knew, um, well, the bitch is back, right? That has, that features you guys. Um, that was a number, that was in the top 10, and that included... Uh, yeah, Linda
2: Ronstadt and Aaron Neville did uh, When Something's Wrong about Baby. That got the Grammy that year.
0: So how did how'd you hook up with uh, Elton John? Did, you, did one thing lead to another where you're playing with Santana, and then you go to Janis Joplin, and then <laughs> it's just the music industry, you know how it is, uh, networking. And you just kept on getting recommended to different bands,
2: yeah, by the time we did Elton, we had played several sessions, and word was out, yeah, and uh, but when when we did his record, though, that was a there was a lot of recording done there. and uh, you know, when it came out, we were prominent in the mix, yeah, they allowed us to take a quote from him that uh, he had been quoted in Cream magazine saying, Tower of Power horns are fantastic, and they not only uh, sound great, but they look great as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we put that in a booklet with all our pictures and our horns, and listed all the things we played, the different instruments, and all the different sessions we had done, and sent it out throughout the industry. And then the, the sessions started pouring in.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you—I don't know if um, I didn't know this, but. A song like "Jane" by Jefferson Starship, um, mm-hmm. the horns—I had to really like. There's so much guitar in that that I didn't realize the horns were. There was a nice accent behind the guitar, <laughs> propelling yeah, I the think song forward. On the,
2: yeah, I think we only played on the bridge in there. That right, bum, bum, bum.
0: <laughs> yes, you know. It
2: prop- was like uh, you know we were just kind of hanging out there at the studio. We were recording, and uh, the engineer, Ron Nevison, they call him Nevo, great guy. He said, "Hey, why don't you come? In? I think I think we can use some horns on this track." You know? Yeah. I was like, well, "All right." <laughs>
0: And, and then you could hear it right there that it propels the the song forward. it It really drives it the same with heart and even it up. Um, yeah you can hear how that backs the guitar energy wise. you know what I mean?
2: I think, uh, you know, a, a large reason for that is uh, the arranging of Greg Adams at the time. He knew how to arrange our horns in a way that made us jump out of the mix. Like, for instance, I mean, if you're a guitar band, you don't right. bring in horns and have them double the guitar part. You know, ba da 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 right. you know, that's the thing. You have them go, bow! You know, and then the, the guitar goes da 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 by itself, because when they do the mix, they're not gonna make sure the horns get here, they're gonna make sure their their star guitar player gets here. So you pick your spots for your horn licks and then they jump out of the mix. And Greg really uh just perfected that. He's a great arranger.
0: Yeah, there were certain songs like um I recall um Rod Stewart's Big Bayou where it just called for horns. It wasn't it wasn't a guitar song that had the horns in the background it just it called for it and right right you know what I'm saying and well yeah. it, it was uh you know it was a uh, tennessee song you know <laughs> or louisiana song yeah. i should say so fit in perfect
2: but uh, but then we did uh aerosmith you know Yeah. what and and i and you know you know uh joey kramer called these man i convinced them you know to put the horns on because they they had a thing going their their producer that they had, had before that was hooked up with this horn section in canada so they they didn't want to step on their toes and but uh Steve and Tyler had told me we've been wanting to get you guys for years. So then they got this different producer, Mark Hudson from the Hudson Brothers. And uh, and so Joey Kramer said, let's call Tower of Power. So they got us in there and I told Joey, I said, you know, we need to do the arrangement. He goes, oh, no, but well, we got this arranger. And I go, I'm telling you, <laughs> if you let us do the arrangement, it'll sound like Tower of Power. And they didn't do that. And if you listen to the track, On just push play that we played on, you can't even hear the horns because they had us play all these guitar parts. And you know, what are you gonna when you're doing the mix for Aerosmith? What are you gonna do? Cover up the guitar? I mean, you're not gonna do that. So we're sort of lost.
0: Going back to, I want to go over some staples of Tower of Power, if you don't mind, because it is 50 years, um, well, it's beyond that, but uh, since we're celebrating it with this new release, some songs that are staples of yours, and maybe you could just say what you think are, just from you, what you think is special about each song. You're still a young man off of 72's Bump City um to me this is like a a blues song with horns and orchestrated vocals do you kind of agree you come in and those horns sound like it's almost like they took a guitar lick (laughs) and turned into horns it's pretty fabulous I feel it's almost like a a weeping it's it's really nice how you did that yeah I mean
2: the song is uh you know a a song of pleading you know yes uh obviously we had we had no girl singing background but the chorus is supposed to be girls saying you're still a young man baby. don't waste your time saying that to a younger man and the younger man is pleading his case no no I love you you know, I want to be with you, you know, and she's going, no, no, you know, this girl's your own issue. And it was based on this relationship I had with this girl that was 26 years old when I was 18. Yes. You know? And that's the first song we ever wrote, Doc and I. And the reason we have that trumpet intro is because of Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, their album, This Is My Country. There was a song on there called My Woman's Love that had a fabulous trumpet intro. And we had a really good trumpet player, Nick Gillette. And so we said, we got to write you know a trumpet intro like that and we wrote it and then it was so great when we started performing we said let's put it on the end too (laughs) so we put the the trumpet back at the end you know
0: yeah that was that was sweet and and you can't pin you guys down because then you go into stuff like so very hard to go which is a classic r&b sound A song that uh, who who does the horn solo? That's a, that's a nice solo in there. Um, that's
2: Greg Adams once again. Greg yes. Adams. And those, the solo was such a signature solo that even today, the trumpet player that we use, uh, a golfing Costa, he plays that solo. You know, I mean, you could you can go and improvise and do it any way you want, but you know that doesn't work because when you get to that part of that song, people want to hear that solo, and Greg Adams yeah. made that famous.
0: Well, I'm a big Marvin Gaye fan, and that is a song I, I think that could be a Marvin Gaye song. It's so classic R&B. Um, I don't know if you would take that as a compliment, but for me, that's, that's a high compliment. It just, um, it fits into Any tech.
2: reference that we're in remotely, remotely related to Marvin Gaye is a compliment to me. <laughs> Are you kidding me?
0: That's a song that would check all the boxes for him, I think. Um, then my favorite is What is Hip? I I know you probably get a lot of requests for that Um, that's just a perfect me adrenaline funk song But to me, it's the guitar, it's that Bruce, Conte, that's Bruce Conte, right?
2: Yeah.
3: Doing
0: yeah. all those little, those nice little licks in there. And then you have the funk yeah. drive, you got, that's Lenny Williams, right? Um, it, It's like, overall, just lead, yeah. perfect song there. Just overall, just...
2: Yeah, I think, you know, for one, the, the strongest thing about that song is the lyric... You know, uh, the concept of, you know, everybody's chasing hipness and every time they get it, it's already not hip no more. That's true. And that was priceless. And that was all uh, Doc Kupka. You know, I mean, uh, he said, I want us to write a song called What is Hip? I go, okay, what does that mean? He goes, you know, when you're chasing hipness, as soon as you get it, it's not hip no more. I go, oh, yeah. And we we started writing it. We invited David Garibaldi to join us. And uh, he didn't pitch in a whole lot while we were doing the writing of it, but when we put it together... There was a song called I'm Going Down by Freddie, uh, um, Freddie King. Mm. And uh, it had that 16th note bass line
3: mm. and him
2: and uh, the, the bass player from Santana at the time, Dougie Roush, were jamming on that groove. And, uh, and it was so cool. He came to me the next day. He was, I think we should put a groove like that to that song. What is it? And mm. that really propelled the song, you know, and then The guitar part, you know, we recorded that song twice. We recorded it, and then I fired Skip Mesquite and Willie Fulton. But we had already recorded it with them, and Willie took this searing guitar solo uh, on all those sections where Bruce Conti solos, and we were used to that. And when Bruce came in, you know, it was like he was more jazzy and more lyrical and all that. Uh, but over the years it's become like like that's a, a signature, kinda of like that solo in So Very Hard to Go. I mean you can't hear what it's saying without hearing that type of guitar solo on
0: Huh. And I know though. So there are two versions of the oh, song.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, we were and not only that song, uh, you know, Soul Vaccination, uh there was a few songs in that album that we had to re record, uh, Get Your Feet Back on the Ground.
0: Did you ever re did you ever release those uh I was going to
2: re-release them. Um, Warners had contacted me, said we have these things in the vault. and oh. uh, cause They sounded good, you know. And uh, and that was right before the big... Yeah, everybody, you know, downsized. Yes. And the next thing I know, they just stopped calling me. I mean, they had sent me uh, discs of all the um, stuff in the vault. Oh. And they were like, we want to put out a special box set, and we want to do each album plus the bonus tracks. And I was like, yeah, we got to do it. And I'm sure someday... It will be done. But oh, please. What happened is they just, <laughs> all of a sudden, everything fell out the bottom. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, they just weren't calling anymore.
0: That's got to be some great kind of stuff.
2: Away. Oh, yeah. Oop. And Rick Stevens sings those songs. You know, the guy that sang you Still the Young Man, because it was before Lenny came in. Oh, what? And what happened is I, I, fired, I fired Skip Mesquite and Willie Fulton. And we re-recorded them, but I didn't fire Rick Stevens. And I should have, because they were all, it was a heroin thing, you know. And yeah. I should have, and I didn't take care of it. But then when we recorded all of the songs again, uh, and Rick was getting further and further out there, finally when I said, uh, you know, it's time for you to sing, and he was like, I'm not going to sing till everything's on. I go, everything is on. It's time for you to sing. And then he kind of blew up in the studio, and that's when I fired him. And we got Lenny Williams. And I had already written So Very Hard to Go because I had been hanging out with Lenny Williams and I had his voice in my mind. And so I said, let's let's have him record that. We'll put it out as a single and that'll buy some time. We could teach him the rest of the songs on the record and then we'll put the album out. Wow. So it was a turbulent time, you know.
0: It's, it's a good record <laughs> for such turbulence. yeah a great record. Um, where's Lenny Williams now? What is he doing?
2: He's in the Bay Area still. He called me about three weeks ago. We had a long talk. He's he's a wonderful cat. We've been friends for years, and uh, he, I mean, we always call each other and laugh. It's, he's got a great sense of humor, and he's uh, still got his career. You know, he plays. He does a lot of uh, gigs in the South. You know, yeah, yeah. down there with uh, you know Small and all those all those kind of soul acts. You know?
0: um, so. Lastly, you you uh, continued with, um, you know, you have the song Stop that has that same funky sort of vibe, but it's more modernized. And that was on Soul Side of the Town. Your last singer, which we, we just talked about, and that song kind of continued that sort of funky, like I just said, that funky vibe. But it it was more in it wasn't seventies, which I love that 70s sound. But it was more in touch, I would say, with today's uh, kind of what is hip.
2: <laughs> if you want to say, yeah, that. I, I, you know, I'll be honest, I never think about. Does it sound like seventies or is it current? <laughs> uh, I, all I do is I, I write songs. I make them sound the way I want them to sound. And, that, uh,
0: that's the best way to think that
2: now then it's current. Yeah, uh, you know. But uh, that song I was interesting. My, you know, I I wanted, you know, I'm a songwriter, and so is Doc, and him and I have the main songwriters. But yeah. you know, everybody wants to get into the writing. And I told all the guys that you know we're putting together. You know, I want to have a minimum of twenty five songs. And I said, and I got a ton of songs. But I don't want it to be the Emilio show. So any of you guys that got songs, I want to hear them. If any of you need help finishing ideas, I'll help you. Doc will help you, whatever. But I want everybody to get a chance to throw the ball around, you know. And uh, so one day I was at home. It was a Friday evening. And Jerry Cortez calls me. And he goes, hey, uh, can I send you this track? It's a song I started writing years ago. I just pulled it up. And I, I think it's pretty funky, you know. And all it was was that dumb that's all he had, you know. Mm. And and I said, sure, he goes, "Uh, maybe you could come up with something, (laughs) you know. I go, yeah, I go, you know, I got some people coming over, and I'm about to have dinner, uh, you know, and it's the weekend, so I'll try to look at it Monday. But before dinner got ready, I started listening to it, and I got this idea to write about a guy who's sober who thought about drinking. Mm. and uh, all of a sudden man the lyrics just started pouring out you know and before I knew it I had the whole thing done it was like an hour you know and I sang it against his track and and I sent it back to him you know and I said I just need you to make some changes in the track here and there and he got back to me he's like man (laughs) that was fast you know the song really came out good so I'm, I'm very proud it
0: did clean sounding very good production everything um so now, lastly, I got to ask you. You say that, and it's obviously why, because the man was very talented. But you said B.B. King is your role model. Why is that for you personally?
2: Because he played to lose how old was he when he died? He must have been close to ninety or even older. Right. And he kept he kept on gigging. You know, I I was playing with him about twenty years ago, and I remember uh, we did a whole tour with him. You know, we did the B.B. King Blues Tour. And he would be coming off the bus, and people would help him down the steps and walk him over to the stage. And then they had a ramp for him to go up. They'd be pushing him up. But when the light came on, he was like a 17-year-old. He played for like two and a half hours, you know. Yep. And I said, man, that, that I want that to be me, man. I want to just bob till I drop. People say, you know, when are you going to retire, Amelia? When are you going to bring this to an end? I tell them, there's no retirement in the Bible. That's yep. a man-made thing. We're yep. supposed to work, and I love working.
0: I agree. If you've got a passion for something, why, it seems like people are obsessed, especially when it comes to musicians, like, oh, you got to retire, you know, that's a young man's game. I don't, I don't agree. Um, Keith Richards said he, he's going to be playing till he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I could see it, man. I, I mean, I can understand it, you know? People, I understand people think of, you know, popular music, young, you know. I uh, think of the musicians when they were young. But, you know, this is what they're best at. So let them play till the end of their lives. I, I don't get the obsession of the retirement thing. And let's face it, how yeah, many times I mean, have bands said they're retiring and it never yeah. happens?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're... We're retiring, and then two years later, it's
0: the reunion. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to happen. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Emilio. And uh, I didn't get the three album uh, vinyl yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to actually putting the needle down on that. Um, even yeah, you I've,
2: know, Mac Avenue Records is kind of famous uh, for being the best vinyl in the industry today. Yeah. They have the high grade vinyl and the regular and uh that's one of the things that really you know we, we were excited about that when we first signed the contract it's like oh, i don't know if you know this but they're known for their vinyl and my, my little boy had just really got obsessed with vinyl yeah and I mean, he was going to you then on vinyl day he was going to all the vinyl stores here in phoenix and isn't everything. that cool and, uh, and the, yeah it's way cool you know yeah. and so we we're very pleased about that and uh I I got a request in for some vinyl myself. I told Mac Allen, I gotta have a few of those. You're like, Well, we're uh, getting putting it together. Yeah, to send me some. I made it.
0: because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one thing hearing it digitally, it's a different thing hearing on vinyl. It's just uh Yeah <laughs> hearing on a stereo system, it's a lot better.
2: Yeah, plus the artwork always looks so great on an album.
0: Of course. Is it is it gonna be uh gatefold, do you know if it's uh well, I guess I'll see when you I know, get it. Honestly,
2: I'm not sure.
0: But that's that's the great thing about vinyl, too. It's tangible. You know, it's not some. Uh... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks, man. Enjoy, enjoy the weather. Um, I'm All up right, here man. in the northeast, trying to hoping it gets to 50 degrees this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll try not to gloat. <laughs> Take care, man. Nice talking to you, Pat. Okay, thanks, man. Bye. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and goldminemag.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Goldmine Podcast. Don't forget, pick up the print edition of Goldmine at select Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million Stores, and Indie Record Shops. And go to goldminemag.com for exclusive content. Take care for
1: now.